0: Hello, hello, everyone. I'm Peter Resnick and welcome to the Dr. Peter Resnick's toolbox. Here I have my ginger tea, I have the microphone, we're ready to go. Today is an open mic show. Feel free to call at any time, please at 888-874-4888. I repeat 888-874-4888. Four eight eight eight. If you cannot call, you can, of course, write to me an email, and the email address is drpeterreznik at gmail.com, d-r-p-e-t-e-r-r-e-z-n-i-k at gmail.com. I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. I am a health professional, not a politician, not clergyman, a clergyman, though I have my opinions on those subjects, we touched upon them on this show. But I'm sure there are people who are much more competent than I am to talk about them. On politics here on PRN, there is Gary Nall, there is Peter or uh, probably there are others, I just don't know who they are. There. I didn't watch all the shows. Uh, I would welcome more questions on issues of health and healing. That's where I believe I can be most useful. Uh, I think uh, you're under uh, underutilizing me, frankly. Uh, if you do have questions, if you're struggling, if you're not comfortable giving your name, you can make up some name, but if you have questions, we remember regarding Uh, emotional challenges, or physical problems, which means regardless of what modality you choose to work um, through uh, dealing with physical illnesses, whether it's cancer or uh, a food problem, or, or a stomach problem, you choose whatever modality you choose. Uh, but if it's uh, a physical approach, if it's conventional approach, you are dealing most of the time with the symptom. Uh, there is a reason, uh, I, of course it's part of my belief system. There is a reason things happen to us, things don't happen randomly. So and when the body breaks down, there are some challenges everyone has, I believe, on the inner level uh, and Treating just the symptom is like, let's say if you are in a room, and you get a headache, and you treat the symptom, you take extra trend, trend Tylenol, or you just go out for a walk, and you feel better. But you didn't th- find out why you had the headache. Maybe there is a gas leak in the, in the room, and you get you can get poisoned or there is something else you need to know why the problem comes. And then then, um, that's where I come in. Um, I can talk about the inner meaning of problems. And not just so you depend become dependent on me, or how I can interpret to you, whatever is happening with you. But I teach you how to recognize whatever challenges you're facing on your own, that is, that's what I share, you know, the name of the, the title of the um, show is the toolbox, Peter Resnick's toolbox, and I have a lot of tools, including um, on how to understand the meaning, whatever challenges you're facing. Anyway, let's start today. Um, while I'm waiting for your calls, I, I felt like sharing with you one of the poems Uh, written by my teacher, Blessed Memory, Colette. She wrote this wonderful, wonderful book. In fact, a lot of people wrote books about her, but she didn't write much except uh, one book uh, of memoirs, Life is Not a Novel. And this book of poetry, along with the one Uh, And periodically, I'm rereading um, her poetry. In fact, one time, probably six months or seven months ago, my nephew, Oleg, who is a medical doctor, and I invited him to talk about uh, medicine. uh, And he wrote a book, secrets of medical decision making. So we spoke about these secrets and, and how to deal uh, with medicine if you happen to get to the hospital. But also I invited him to talk about Colette's poetry because he managed to memorize all of her poems by heart and can talk about the meaning of them. But um, So as I was rereading a couple of days ago some of her poems, I read the poem that I found being incredibly, incredibly helpful to me when I was going through... Uh, a number of years ago through uh, some tough times. Uh, And I read this poem probably, (laughs) maybe 50, 60 times, and I think it was most helpful. So it's called The Springing Fount. Within the mysterious darkness, the infinite light lies hidden into the flaming fountain. To truly know oneness, you must enter the deep darkness. Then the highest hidden wonder is disclosed. It opens for you and united into the circle. You're one with the one. Well, that's that's what I wanted to share with you. Uh, Any calls? we don't have any calls yet. Well, uh, then I will continue talking. But again, as I said, I don't have guests today. I will gladly stop and uh, take your call. If you call. Last week, I started responding to Ray's question, the Ray gentleman sent me an email. But I, I only started I did not finish. And during this last week, he sent me another question, which also is a very good question. So let me go step by step and try to answer race questions. So the the question that I did not address uh, was the question, Do you believe that Genesis one is a literally true story of creation? Well, it's a very legitimate question, Ray. Um, And, of course, so, so many probably millions of people question that how can it be possible we have modern science, and we have um, dinosaurs and and that we find and um, skeletons that are the uh, carbon analysis shows that they're 50,000, 100,000 year old. So how, how can it be? that the uh, world is 5,783 years old. That's according to Genesis, that's where we live now, in that's a Jewish calendar, and it's year 5,783. And because when Christianity uh, spread around the world, um, I don't remember in what century the time started being accounted from the time, what do they call um, by the the, from the birth of Christ, I believe. And that is, um, we have one year, two, and so on. And now we have the year 2023, they call it BC before, um, uh, or AC uh, after Christ, or anything that happened before that is BC before Christ. And of course, Hebrews, uh, call it BCA, before Common Era or CA Common Era. But basically, both um, Christians and Hebrews and Muslims uh, accept what we call the Torah um, or the Hebrew Bible, the five books of Moses, as a holy text. But how can you, and Ray, I understand, how can you reconcile this idea that the, the world is 5,783 years? old and all the fossils that we find. So let me try to answer you. Um, First of all, as of 2013, using the latest models of stellar evolution, the estimated age of uh, of the oldest star that we know is about 14.5 billion years old. So somewhere 14 and a half to 5 billion years old. So how can we how can we understand it? Well, I have to take you on a journey for for the, to understand that there is a there is an open there is a, a what we call esoteric and exoteric um, side to every tradition esoteric. Um, exoteric is what everyone's studying for example, if you're a Christian, exoteric is the, the Gospels. And esoteric, it's the inner, the hidden, the mystical part of Christianity. So the same thing in Judaism, there is a esoteric, and that's exoteric, as and that's the, the Torah, the five books of Moses. And esoteric, it's the inner, the hidden part, that was always part of uh, the oral Torah, that is Hebrews believe that they not only received um, the Torah, the five books of Moses, as a written text from Moses, but that at the same time, uh, certain information was transmitted, which became known as a oral Torah. And it was transmitted from generation to generation till the Romans destroyed the second temple. And then there was a a concern that that the oral Torah will be lost. And then somewhere around the time, uh, year 100 of common era, this oral Torah was written down. And it became known as a Talmud. So the Talmud is really a commentary on on the Torah, on the five books of Moses, because five books of Moses are such condensed material. Just think about um, a manual for a car, and you know, it's quite a thick book. And then you have maybe 10 pages, quick start, and you have just basic navigation. instructions, how to start, how how to turn on the radio, and so on, so on. But it's only a few pages. That's the same um, with the Torah, or what, what uh, Christians call the Old Testament. It's really a very condensed body of knowledge. But the Talmud is 70 books, compared to one book of Torah, or five books of Moses. Talmud is 70 books. And there you have an incredible wisdom, which explains all the details that are not known to to kind of lay people. And part of the um, esoteric body of knowledge is what is called Kabbalah. Some of you may know what Kabbalah is and some of you may not. So I will tell you what Kabbalah, it's a mystical part of Judaism and Christianity. When I studied Kabbalah, and I started studying it 30 years ago. I remember my introduction to Kabbalah was through a British Kabbalist, Zev Ben Shimon Khalivi. And I lived uh, for a week with a group of people. I remember there were 47 people studying with him. We lived in Winerite House um, in the Rye, New York for seven days, it was you know, maybe eight days. It was a very intense time of studying, many hours a day. And in fact, there were 47 people, 20 Jews and 27 non Jews. And in fact, the man who, with whom I um, shared the room uh, was a Catholic. And then after this um, study that he did with Zeb Ben Shimon Halavi, and of course, he studied for years his books before Halavi came to, to America to teach this course. Uh, so uh, I remember, I think he was Stephen, and he was a medical doctor, and he's <laughs> Catholic, and he went to Washington, D.C., where he came from, and started a chapter of Kabbalah in Washington, D.C. Now, why I am telling you about Kabbalah? Because Kabbalah has the key, to, or the answer to what Ray asked, is that true, that the, that the world exists only less than 6,000 years. So I have, I'm holding in front of me a book called The Path of Kabbalah, written by David Schenkin. Uh, He was a medical doctor, psychiatrist, but also studied Kabbalah for many, many years. And he wrote, and he had access to various Kabbalistic texts. And he wrote a book, called Path of Kabbalah. So I want to read to you uh, just maybe a little less than a page. He explains a lot uh, about um, various aspects of the teaching of, of the Torah. But here he has one chapter called The Age of the Universe, The Secret Teaching. Here we go. How can we Reconcile Genesis 1 with modern biological and cosmological evidence. Kabbalists believe that such a resolution has long existed, indeed, since the very inception of the Bible. It was part of the hidden aspect of the Jewish oral tradition, and it remained oral for millennia. However, approximately 700 years ago, the Kabbalist Rabbi Isaac of Akko, Akko is a minority in the Northern Israel, wrote down this ancient teaching. He disseminated such information precisely because modern science, science of 700 years ago, had begun to exist, and he wished to create a harmony between these two paths of knowledge. Rabbi Isaac's explanation is not difficult to grasp, but we must grasp it in a step-by-step process. He attributed this teaching ultimately to Moses himself at the Mount Sinai. The key is the Psalm 90, written by Moses. Uh, Now, ladies and gentlemen, those of you who are interested in the subject, those of you who studied or studied Bible, probably had this question, is it a real thing? What does the Bible tell us about the age of the universe? Those of you who want to understand, I invite to pay close attention to the numbers. And if you even jot them down, if you write them down, and then you can use a calculator and you will see that the Psalm 90, And, you know, you know the Book of Psalms, it's the most popular book after the Bible. Uh, If you read, if you followed Psalm 90, you will be able to use calculator and arrive to the uh, age of the universe according to ancient mystical Hebrew tradition. Okay, here we go. The ninetieth, ninetieth, nineteen—not nineteen, nine zero. Ninetieth Psalm says quite explicitly that a uh, God-day corresponds to one thousand men years. Verse four declares, "For a thousand years in Thy sight are but yesterday." Okay, Kabbalists teach that there were seven cycles of creation. Each cycle of creation is seen to have lasted 1000 thousand years, a quote, um, man years. We are now living the seventh cycle. Kabbalists believe that the six cycles had already been completed before this current seventh cycle. That is, all the events associated with Adam are seen to have occurred in the present cycle. And only in the present cycle are, quote, many years counted. Before this cycle, the years are seen to refer to, quote, God years only. Since six cycles, have been completed, each comprising 7,000 years. That corresponds with 42,000, quote, man years. We have already related how the 90th Psalm explains that one man year equals to one god year, god day. Therefore, one God year equals to 365, 150,000 men years. So, if there were 42,000 God years prior to Adam, six cycles of 6,000 each year, that indicates the figure of fifteen billion three hundred forty million. 500,000 years. Remember, over 700 years ago, Rabbi Isaac wrote that the universe that old. So I I will put aside now the page, the the book, just ladies and gentlemen, think about it. 700 years ago, Rabbi Isaac and, and the manuscripts exist said that the universe is 15 billion years old. Now, if it was just taking from the air, why didn't 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 say the universe is 5 million years old, or 3 million years old, or 50 million or 70 million, or a billion or 2 billion or 70 billion of all numbers, he comes up with 15 billion years. So and it's all based as as you heard you know, a first time when I frankly, when I heard it, it's kind of, I was doubting and then I took a calculator and I started. And again, you can do the same thing, take the uh, book of Psalms, find 90th Psalm and do calculations and you will find that that's absolutely accurate. So Ray, I hope I answered your question. That's how so we are when we're talking about this 5000 years that Genesis one speaks about, this is about this last cycle. Uh, and it's from counted from the birth of Adam. there are many wonderful things you can learn. Again, um, while you are attempting to reconcile uh, the, the five books of Moses, and, and the oral Torah, the Talmud with present science, it, it, it's such a fascinating subject, I'm not going to talk about it, I will just refer you to a book, for example, the number of stars in, in galaxies, You know, people were looking at the stars and counted approximately, depending on where they were standing, whether on the mountain, in the mountains or plains, between four and seven thousand stars. That's all they saw till Galileo Galilei invented the telescope and he saw there were many more. And then they suspected there were millions and millions of stars, but they didn't know how many till they invented uh, a a telescope. Uh, But Hebrews were saying, again, Two thousand years ago in Talmud, they said that it was ten in eighteenth power amount of stars. Ten in eighteenth power. I don't even know how to say. There is no uh, name for this number. It's ten and eight one and ten in, in eighteenth zero. Uh, uh, and so of course, people were when when Hebrews were saying this thousands of years ago and hundreds of years ago, people thought that they were crazy. And Hebrews said, "No, we are not astronomers, we are not mathematicians, not physicists. It's just what is written in Talmud, and we accept it." And only now, with Hubble telescope, guess what? They discovered that the the amount of galaxies uh, of stars in the universe are ten in eighteen power. I hold here a book written by Zamir Cohen, Zamir, Z-A-M-I-R, Cohen, C-O-H-E-N, called The Coming Revolution. Uh, it could be very much be called uh, to- Torah and Science, because it talks about all every single invention, from radiation um, uh, to the atom, to gravity, all these Uh, the book is showing you in on what pages in what um, specific book of Talmud, uh, which is 2000 years old, or uh, Torah, which is 3380 years old, where it was all written. So you understand this is a real thing. Uh, For me, it was particularly important because I did not grow up with the religion. And it was all very strange. So I started exploring Um, the Bible, uh, not, you know, seriously, only 20 years ago, maybe, maybe a little more. And uh, first of all, the Torah, the Hebrew Bible has 5888 verses, and there is no one place where it's written, you have to believe in God. No, one place, there is no demand to believe in God. It's many times it's written, no, I am you. No, I am your God. Believe, no. What's the difference? The word knowledge, if you look up in Webster's dictionary, uh, means understanding gained through experience. Basically, we are taught, we are called to know, to experience, to discover for ourselves about God and, and whether or not the Bible is real. So for me, studying this, uh, the, the uh, discovering this correspondence, this total um, peace between science and the Torah. And, but but the, the only difference is that uh, what science is saying in the last couple of hundred years was known uh, for thousands of years to ancient Hebrews. So those, of course, who studied in depth and studied what is called esoteric part or the he- mystical or hidden part. But, but mostly, it, it, Hebrew people are not encouraged to study it for one reason. Because the Torah and Judaism are not less religions, more a way of life. From our understanding, uh, the Torah and is an attempt for God uh, to, to make a civil society, to make society more tolerable, uh, to make people live in in greater peace. We haven't accomplished it all. But uh, as as Moses Maimonides, the philosopher and theologian of 12th century, a great Hebrew scholar, uh, gave credit to Christian people, he said, it is Christianity that took the commandments and spread it around the world. So, and uh, that's that's what is being um, attempted now for thousands of years. And even though people say, "Oh, there were crusades, there were horrible, horrible things happening," I believe in what we've seen. Countries with uh, where majority of people are Christian did a lot of good in the world. And then I know immediately people begin to think about all the horrors that happened. Yes, they're absolutely they're happening and happening now. And we invented nuclear bomb. But we also brought order we brought, uh, by the way, it is the the Torah uh, first that speaks up against slavery. Uh, That is 3380 years ago, where slavery was universal uh, phenomenon. In the Torah, it's already written, you keep, if you have a slave, uh, you keep your slave for six years, and on the seventh year, you let him go, and do not let him go empty handed. So, of course, it was applicable, it was to go in par with the world of then. But for sure, this was a major attempt. Uh, And it is the Christian world, remember, till uh, 18th century, slavery was a universal, universal, every uh, um, phenomenon, every culture, every continent, whether it's Europe, Asia, or Africa, all had had slaves, and slaves were their own people or neighboring people. And it is, was only in the very end of 18th century, the beginning of 19th century, where the first people who abolished slavery was first the Kingdom of Denmark in 1796, and then Queen Victoria in 1803, uh, spoke up against slavery as, as an inhumane, and uh, reciting, uh, quoting of course, uh, the Bible. And um, of course, in America, thousands upon thousands of people died in the Civil War fighting against slavery. But this was the first attempt in human history to speak up against slavery. And after America and, and European countries abolished slavery, slavery still existed and even exists now uh, in many countries around the world. So uh, that brings us to <laughs> this subject. Okay, conclude this subject. Of course, if you have questions regarding that, I just told you I'm not clergy. (laughs) And I'm not a politician. And yet I ended up talking so long um, about this subject. But I think it's an interesting subject in terms of um, uh, where we stand, how do we understand this most popular uh, text in the world? Remember, uh, two thirds of the world follow um, keep as their foundation these five books of Moses, whether it's Islam uh, or Christianity. They, can, they, a huge amount of people, probably what, two to over four billion people, are either a, a Christian or Muslim, and their foundation is um, the five books of Moses, of course. So that's that's a good thing to know though I'm sure it's not giving you exhaustive body of knowledge about it. Just superficial inquiry, because I'm not a scholar of <laughs> spiritual traditions, I'm just a student. Anyway, let me now let me finish up with Ray, because he asked another question. And, and the question was um, and here that, that he asked this week, Another burning question, who was the father of Eve's grandchildren? Cain? Abel? Uh, Inquisitive minds want to know. Of course, not Abel. Because remember, the two sons of um, Adam and Eve, Cape, according to the Bible, um, were Cain and Abel, and Cain killed his brother Abel. And in fact, throughout the Torah, we go all through all these stories of two brothers fighting one another till it's finished finally, finally, with um, Joseph, who does not fight his brothers. He forgives them and makes peace. But Cain kills Abel. So Ray, I'm answering your question. And then uh, Adam and Eve had another son whose name was Seth. But by the way, they also, of course, had many daughters. So, and remember, Cain was not killed for his um, murder, but he was cast away. And so Cain then becomes a traveler. And and it's written in the Bible, Cain gave birth to again, of course, Cain uh, didn't his wife, but that's how it's, Torah goes through through the father, explaining for when the, it talks about heredity. So Cain gave birth to Enoch. Enoch gave birth to Irad. We're talking about different next generation, and then Mithudiel, and then Mithud Sayel. So we're talking about like as as they his children and grandchildren had children. There were women and men, and so the population increased. But that's Cain the brother who was not permitted to stay uh, with uh, Adam and Eve because he was a murderer. But Adam and Eve gave birth to another son whose name was Seth. And Enosh came from Cain uh, from Seth. uh, So which means the grandson of Adam and Eve also was Enosh. And Enosh gave um, had uh, Canaan and and Canaan had Michalel, and then we Jared, and then Enosh, and then uh, finally we come eventually to Noah, and then all the story of Noah and his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and so on. So, to answer quickly your question uh, who were the grandchildren of Adam and Eve? If living sons of Adam and Eve were Seth and Cain, then the grandchildren were Enosh of Cain and Mechalalel, uh, oh no, no, Enosh of Cain and um, and Enoch of Seth, and then their grandchildren were uh, Cain and In uh, and Erad and so on. So it's, if you pay attention to the Bible, it's very, very, very clear. It, for some reason, the Bible uh, chooses to tell uh, this uh, genetic line very, very clearly. You can find the name. Most of the time when people begin to read the Bible, they just skip. It's too confusing. Me too. That's what I've done. Uh, the only reason I... Uh, can read to you, I can tell you who gave birth to whom is because I have a chart in front of me. Otherwise, I wouldn't remember. I, frankly, I was never interested in this kind of details. Real scholars of, of the Torah find it interesting and find some numerological information about each of them. That's a whole other subject. Because remember, every Hebrew letter co- uh, corresponds with a number. And so there are there are mysticals uh, bodies of knowledge about the number and correspondence and and I cannot even talk start talking about it. And maybe I read it one time about numerology, and I know the, the each number, but but it it doesn't make sense even to start here. So talking. So I still didn't get any calls. So I don't even know if anybody is listening. But let me then uh, let me talk to you about something else. Uh, let me continue our journey uh, through six pillars of well-being. I want to finish it. I we have not too many to talk about it, and it's the fifth pillar of well-being, uh, and. We spoke last time about lying. So we have to cover still boasting. And we're talking about, um, how do you call it, toxic states or toxic character traits. And again, I I keep repeating each each time I'm talking about these subjects. It doesn't mean that you are, my dear listener now, um, uh, struggling with these qualities. Because I, as I said, I found 23 of these 20 toxic character traits. And maybe, uh, frankly, I've never met in my life one person who never struggled with any of them. I think you don't come into this world if you don't have to deal with challenges. Uh, but uh, most people deal with five, six, four, ten, 10, whatever they are you look and you see if you can relate to it. And I spoke about guilt, I spoke about anger, I spoke about uh, uh, greed, and doubt and judgment. So, and I taught you a specific practice for dealing with each of the qualities. So now we'll talk about boasting, uh, or they call it blowing your own horn. And uh, and I hope somebody will call uh, before we end this show. Um, so far, either people don't uh, have any questions or another possibility, they want to hear what I have to say. And the possibility, they just don't care. <laughs> and yet another possibility, nobody's listening. With the radio show, you never know. That's the incredible thing. <laughs> uh, but you know, after after the show, of sometimes i ask uh, the studio people how many people listen and they t- tell me it and it's a lot of people then i don't understand why why people don't call uh i uh, i hear other i li- listen to a couple of shows other shows and and have people t- have guests or people call in like the show right before mine uh, lead stories with Atris leads. Uh, leads. She uh, constantly. lets her whole show is about people calling in and, and expressing their opinions and asking questions and or giving answers to the questions. So you know people can call, but I. I still did. I'm still mystified. I don't know why people will not call on this show. Anyway, I hope I will still have uh, subjects to cover with you. Um, because but it will not last forever, you know, <laughs> eventually, I will run out of, of subjects that I can talk about. Uh, so boasting, boasting is really an offshoot of approval seeking it, I also spoke about it, uh, approval seeking, but boasting is has its own separate kind of, uh, meaning, like it goes beyond approval seeking. And there are different reasons uh, people are involved in boasting. One is insecurity. And they do boast they, they they magnify their, their talents, they speak about themselves, just to elevate themselves in their own eyes. Uh, And I think it happens because of self judgment. Uh, you know, um, uh, a lot of people and I have on my website, one of the first articles that I posted on my website under articles is judgment. I think people are judging themselves so harshly uh, as, as being deficient. Something is not right. And it's because mostly because they compare themselves to others. But you have your unique path. There is no other human being on the planet like you. There was never a person like you, never will be. You have your unique place. The universe waited for you to come into this world and do your own thing and affect other people around you. You can only do your best and make your mistakes. And once you recognize mistakes you made, you correct mistakes. But I believe, and, and it's what I learned from my uh, relationship with the spiritual traditions, is that one of the main purposes is to climb the ladder of yourself to become the best you can be. Not better than you are, And if somebody cannot appreciate you, for who you are, then they're not, they're not your friend, or they're not your lover. They don't they love, they appreciate you for something, maybe for what you're boasting about. Maybe you uh, magnified yourself and look better uh, in their eyes and in your own eyes. But remember, then they love somebody else. It's not you just like I spoke last week about lying, would you want to be with someone? It's just the, the most horrifying image It's like, for example, if you're intimate, if you're in bed with someone uh, making love to the person, mm-hmm. and you know 100% that while you're making love to this person, this person is thinking about somebody else, how would it feel? I, I mean, for me, it would be terrifying, you know, really? It's better not to have this relationship. But that's what happens when you blow your own horn, when you portray that you are somebody else, that person may love that somebody else, it's not you. So the best is, and I I found, frankly, in my experience as a person, and also as a therapist, you know, I've been talking to people for 45 years, I found that more men boast than women, uh, perhaps because they have more courage to be themselves and to speak up and tell them uh, men how they feel. Um, Maybe for other reasons, but maybe because of the pressure the society put on men to perform to be providers, at least in the past to be defenders. There is a certain standard that is created, and so men have to live up to that standard. But I definitely have seen men uh, boasting more than women. And I have to say to men who have a tendency to boast, that, again, it's from my experience of knowing women uh, personally and and as a therapist, women are so beautiful, so forgiving. Women are much more forgiving than men. Because more, men more, uh, I have to say, a little more superficial men, uh, the, the way, even the way they get attracted to women, they, before anything, they, they're attracted to appearance. A woman is attracted to a man's heart. She may not find a man not so interesting, not even notice him but then she hears him speak or he, he does something and it touches her heart, and then he becomes beautiful to her. And I'm not saying that every woman is like this, but I found a lot of, a lot of women, they're very forgiving of men, of men's insecurity, of men's weaknesses. As long as men are honest with them and devoted to them, women are very forgiving. But men are not forgiving of themselves. And so that's why this boasting is needed. So that's about insecurity. The second reason I think people uh, boast. uh, It's, it's to gain profit uh, to gain control to gain power to scare the other person or, or people that's more like you know, you've seen apes uh, one after the, the if if there are two apes that are uh, quarreling, and maybe they have a female that w- both of them want to be with, they they both they begin to hit themselves in the chest, and they show their power, basically, they're uh, saying, I'm stronger than you. I don't even don't even start fighting with me. And in fact, I saw a couple of I love this. um YouTubes now and it used to be a uh, nature channel and history channel I wish to watch. But now mostly um, YouTubes. They, they they say zoologists say that most of the time when two apes, big, big gorillas are confronted in the wild, confronted, confronting each other, and they like hit themselves in the chest and scare each other. Most of these fights end. Without a real fight, one eventually gives up and runs away because he feels uh, that he he can be defeated. And the reason that they somehow develop this of of running away and one boasting better than the other or showing greater power, because if every confrontation would end up in in real fight, they would they have such power that they would be hurt and possibly killed both. Because in the wild, you know, there is no hospital, so uh, they could damage each other to such degree that both would become incapable and, and basically die. So, uh, so that's to gain control and profit. Uh, and that's, that's regretful. But notice if you note if you have a sense that either of this insecurity or to, to gain control, and it is an issue. A little later, I will give you tools of how to deal with it. The third, the third actually uh, is closely connected to to the second one. It's gain control. Uh, the third one is people boast because of fear. They are afraid to, to be seeing weak, to be seen as incapable, and so they make up stories. The, the another reason is self promotion. Uh, is It's to basically, uh, let's say business, uh, people magnify their accomplishments to, to impress. And and to basically, then it's like to steal, because you're promising more than you can deliver. You know, I know some uh, some people take someone's business, uh, say that they can. In fact, I wanted to buy a car. Uh, and there was, like last year, it was difficult to get a car. Now, new car or used car, it's just difficult because... Cars were not available, and I called somebody, and, and the person said, "Oh, I do it all the time. I have every week I move cars blah, 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 blah. because." Uh, and I thought that it would be faster than going to um, car dealership. And he promised within a week there we will be a new car. And he is what is it called? I don't know how they are called. They like agents who get cars. Um, and uh, he promised, the car did come right away, uh, like within a week. So but that's boasting for for self-promotion and again gaining uh, some kind, kind of benefit. Another reason for boasting is um, fear of abandonment. Somebody will want to look better, because they don't want to be abandoned. Uh, or maybe it's in the personal relationship or, or in business, uh, they will, again, it's lying, and boasting, but which boasting is always also lying. Um, and finally, another reason is a dopamine kick, <laughs> uh, which means, you know, people when people boast, they, they feel good. They they like dopamine junkie they're excited and, and makes themselves feel good but in truth when anytime you boast uh you really you're lying so that's that's what you need to do to stop when you are a grown mature person I was boasting when I was a child but I had nothing to boast about you know when I was a child it was valuable it strength uh, I grew up in a kind of interesting city, Odessa, Ukraine and in a tough neighborhood called Moldavanka uh, there were a lot of street fights and you had to be strong and uh, a good to be a good fighter and I was now I'm six feet tall I grew up in like four inches in one year <clears throat> when I was in high school but when I was very young I was very short I was the shortest boy in the class. I remember in in elementary school, excuse me. And I had nothing to boast with. <clears throat> but I boasted with my brother, because I was proud my father brother was a known fighter, he could beat up anybody, he was seven years older, he is, he's is still <laughs> he still can be tough. anybody. I'm 68, so he's 75. He's still exercising, doing pull-ups in the park and quite strong. So, But I remember when I was a 10, 9 years old, I would always talk about, uh, about my brother how his accomplishment, how much he exercises, what he can do, what he could do, how he could beat up anybody. I remember, actually, one of the kids told me, you are show off. I said, show off, what way? He said, you're constantly showing off with your brother. That was, you see, that uh, probably belongs to insecurity, because there is nothing I could boast on with uh, about myself. Anyway, so what do you do about boasting? The same thing with lying, the same thing with lying. First, you decide if you if you have even an inkling, a feeling, intuitive feeling that that's what you do, it's so important to get rid of, particularly that people who are intelligent, most of the time they can catch you, they understand you're boasting. And either they kind of don't take you seriously, and if they love you, they just feel sorry for you. Those who truly love you, they tell you this, and you have to listen to them. If somebody tells you, friends tell you, good friends, that you're boasting, you're showing off, it's very important to stop it. In fact, you know, we spoke about the Bible in the first part of our show. Uh, Of all qualities, the most valuable quality of all of all is uh, humility. It's opposite to boasting. Because in the Torah, it's written, at one point, um, God says, Moses, the most modest man of all, not the most courageous, the most brave, the most uh, smart, uh, and powerful, no, the most modest man of all the most humble men of all. So humility is a very important quality. So, um, and that's that's all. Uh, yes, how do you stop? You become a watcher. You become aware of when you boast. And anytime you catch yourself, you simply say, and this is like, like I, with lying, you say, oops. And if you, if you're in the middle, you can say that's not important. Or if you already boasted, that's become aware. And if you uh, if you have the strength, the courage, you can correct yourself. No, you can say I exaggerated. So the more you interrupt yourself from boasting, the more you will find it will be easier for for you to do it. And the faster, the faster You will be able to recognize that you are actually boasting. And eventually, the time will come. You will be able to catch it early, just when you're about to begin to boast, and you will be able to say, Oops, I choose not to. Uh, I think I was giving you in the past uh, some exercises from the WIT that I developed. WIT is Will Integration Training. where you train yourself to be aware of your actions and to be responsible for the actions. And one of the exercises, if you remember, I gave you was doorknob, which means each time before you go out uh, or into a room, there is usually a doorknob. And as you go, just before you touch the doorknob, you pause for a second in your and in your mind, you say doorknob what does it do? It interferes between, it it, uh, separates your impulse to to grab the doorknob and and action, action of taking it, you pause. So you learn to pause, you become aware of your actions, eventually become aware of your thoughts. And if you have the impulse, the thought of lying or boosting, you, since you practice this doorknob, it's easier for you to interrupt Uh, boasting and lying. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, our show is coming to an end and nobody called. I hope you write an email or emails to me because I want to get feedback uh, about this show. And I would love to hear from you just if you want me to talk about some subjects that you want me to bring up just like I spoke and I hope I fully answered Ray's raised question. Uh, regarding the the genesis so i will be happy to do that too because i, I take time i look I, I like i like touching on many subjects so but it's it would be probably the best if you ask questions regarding uh regarding health and healing because that's what i my specialty is so but for now i will be saying goodbye to you i'm looking forward to having your attention a week from now. It will be, unless somebody asks me super important questions, uh, we'll have another uh, show of open mic and I hope then somebody will call. I wish you a wonderful week. Uh, Enjoy your life, be happy. Peace to all who want to live in peace.